Hello, and welcome to another edition of Cheers PA Beer Talk. I am, of course, your host, Mike Lintel. We are excited, as always, to sit down with the best and brightest minds in craft beer in the state of Pennsylvania. And today we have a real treat joining us. It is the co-founder and CEO of Triple Bottom Brewing in Philadelphia, Tess Hart. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. I'm so glad to be here. You got it. I'm really excited to get into your love and commitment of being a mission-driven brewery. But before we get into the deeper waters, the first question we ask everyone is, is there a specific beer or beer memory that brought you into wanting to know more about craft beer or get more involved and maybe open your own brewery? Uh, Do you have a story there for us? Yeah, I mean, there's so many beer stories. I think it's going to be hard to pick one, but I think the sort of pivotal moment for me I had been I had been a huge fan of craft breweries for a long time and had the chance to go with my now husband to South America and we went to a place called Cerveza Austral which is the southernmost brewery in this hemisphere um, in the western hemisphere and uh, there we you know they sort of specialize in lagers which I love um, and we just had this experience that I think crystallized for me how much beer brings people together. I had always found that in breweries, people talk to each other in ways that they don't in other spaces. And here in this place, in this town that we had never been to, in a language that we spoke only a little bit, we were connecting with people, telling the traveler stories, talking about beer and their experience on the tour. And it just was this really powerful moment of connection that I think, you know, I didn't find any place else on that trip. And it really like made clear that I think people come to breweries looking for a story, not just a drink. And in that they like, they connect with each other in these really powerful ways. And it just, it seemed like this was something special. And that was what got me wanting to explore having my own brewery a little bit more. Well, you've done it. Congratulations. (laughs) You've, uh, you've been open a little over a year now and Coming up on two, yeah. In some of the hardest times to ever open, not only any business, but like a brewery and having to maybe adjust your business plan a little bit, kind of on the fly. Uh, Did you plan on canning as much as you do uh, when you opened or was that some adaptation of the pandemic? Everything's an adaptation of the pandemic at this point. Good answer. Yeah. Um, So we had been open six months when the pandemic shut us down and we had built our brewery to be entirely taproom driven. Mm-hmm. Like we maybe had sold two kegs to some other bars just as special events. And mm-hmm. that was it. Um, and I, you know, when, when we suddenly lost a hundred percent of our sales source, um, we very quickly were able to set up mobile canning, which we're so lucky to do. And I remember like we had to do all this electrical work, and our electrician had been exposed to COVID. So like he was on the phone with my brewing partner who was like doing wires and luckily got a mobile canning company to come in pretty soon after the shutdown. Um, and we've been canning ever since. And it's been so fun to sort of build these new creative brands around our individual beers. I think they're out there in a way that they couldn't be if we were just serving them on draft over our bar. Um, so ultimately that's been a silver lining and was something we were hoping to get to in many years, but, you know, just happened to have to accelerate that portion of things. 
Well, and to have the wherewithal to understand that we're not just going to shut it down and take our time with it. Like we have to make a change and to see the path of canning as a way to just get through unknowns because no one knew how long or what was going to be the future in that time. And so to have to make those big changes and have brewers playing with electricity, which is never a good idea. Never great. No, no. No, John Trogner told me a story about how he learned to be an electrician by working at a brewery. And I was like, that's a terrible place to learn to be an electrician. Like the <laughs> guess and check is not how you do it with electricity. It works <laughs> in other ways, but not here. Uh, something you said earlier about the community element. Uh, it's been a thread that we've carried through all the different shows. But community in breweries, to me, is the key part of all of it. The best breweries, in my opinion, have great community, both in outreach, but also an internal community that almost plays off of or is a part of the culture of the brewery. Have you found that now reopening? I know you said you've been open for about a month now, and if you haven't been in, you should definitely go and check out the new tap room now that they're back open. But have you found that your culture and your ethos of being this mission-driven brewery has attracted like-minded individuals, or has it been more of an uphill battle of, I don't want to say education, but really just bringing people along that you're doing it a little differently, but for good reasons? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I think there are a lot of different elements to the answer. I think you know, there are people who, when we were opening, heard our story. And I think the, often the mission leads the story. Um, so for folks who don't know our mission, we're a fair chance business, which means we hire folks who are otherwise excluded from the mainstream economy in a lot of ways. They've maybe experienced incarceration or homelessness. Um, everyone earns a living wage. We're all powered by renewable energy. So that's our triple bottom line out of triple bottom brewing. Um and so I think the mission drew some folks in, but you know, in order to, to keep their attention, the beer obviously had to be great too. Um, and then I think on the other end, you know, just the fact that we're a new brewery and sort of in this sort of mainstream um, cultural experience of Philly brings people in who just want to try a new thing and then they get to hear about the mission. So it's sort of, we're trying to, to partner those, those two experiences really well. And whatever first catches folks' attention, we're trying to then make sure that the other element of the experience really, really leads to building that loyalty. Um, and we have been so lucky. I mean, I think the first weeks of the pandemic really showed us like how much our community was here for us um, because it was terrifying for everyone, obviously. And I remember just like, passing beers through the window to customers who just came with like, you could tell they were smiling, even though they were in masks and just like the words of support were incredible. And I feel, you know, that has just, that's only grown over the last year and a half. And so with reopening, I think, you know, we met so many new people during the pandemic who now are coming in for the first time. Um, and, and I think for a lot of folks, like they're intrigued that we're doing things a little differently here, which is which is great. That's that's the whole goal. Well, that story of doing things differently, I caught my eye from the beginning, and that was one of the biggest reasons I wanted to have a conversation with you. Was mainly you're the first certified B Corporation brewery in Pennsylvania. Is that correct? That's correct. And for those that don't know, could you maybe speak a little bit about what that means and why you chose that path before we get into some of the, the nuts and bolts of it? 
Yeah, for sure. So B Corps are um, benefit corps. That's what the B stands for. Um, it's not beer corp, but we've been asked that a lot. Um, and My toddler thought you it was going to be talking to a beekeeper today, so it's, oh, it's totally understandable that the confusion. Awesome. Yeah, no, no disrespect <laughs> to you, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry to let your toddler down. It's all good. Um, he doesn't drink beer. <laughs> so, so it's a a B corp is a certification that is the result of a really extensive assessment and verification process by an outside entity. Um, that's actually, it's based in Pennsylvania, but it's international and it measures every aspect of your business. And it measures, you know, how you treat your team, how you interact with your community, how you're sourcing things. Um, and if you earn the certification, it means you've met the highest verified standards of social and environmental impact. So it's really, really hard. Um, we sort of thought, you know, we didn't think it would be a walk in the park, in the park but we thought it was going to be easier than it was. And having gone through the process, I have so much more respect for those who really led the charge. Um, so like Allagash is a B Corp, New Belgium's a B Corp. Um, the big names that I think a lot of folks think of are Patagonia and Ben and Jerry's, these big mission-driven for-profit businesses. Um, and we learned a lot along the way. And it's been it's been great to to have both that stamp of approval, but also the, the process of going through our business so thoroughly with a fine tooth comb and figuring out what else could we do. Well, but they had the advantage, the names that you mentioned of just being huge and probably yeah. doing that not from the jump. Like you decided very early on, like this was something that you wanted to do and you took the reins and like, we are going to make this happen. You had to revisit your business plan. You had to reconsider how you were taking care of your team. I think the thing that stood out to me the most was that you actually looked at the livable wage of your staff and decided if they don't make that livable wage because of you know maybe a slow day of tips, you actually cover that shortfall. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. And we've it's been amazing. doing that since the beginning. We wanted to make sure that everyone would earn at least $15 an hour. So like our bartenders start at $10 an hour and usually make up you know way more than 15 when tips come in. But if it's a slow day, you know, we will come in and make sure that they've got that 15. And so that was something, you know, that was a commitment we've always made and always executed on, but we didn't have it in writing in our handbook. And so the B Corp process allowed us to like then go back to the handbook and actually put that into the policy that this is, this is our pledge. Um, so yeah, we've, we knew from the get-go that we wanted to try to get this certification um, just because we looked up to so many B Corps and, and it's been part of our DNA to, to have, this type of impact. Um, and you have to be open for a full year before you can start the, the process. So we turned one last September uh, and started applying right then and there. It took about six months to go through the whole thing. Um, and we're glad to, to, have, to have gotten out on the other side. Another thing you mentioned was the uh, the environmental impact. I, I have to think you're probably one of the only wind-powered breweries in the state of Pennsylvania as well. Have, is there like a group of wind powered breweries? Y'all get together and talk about this and like we the coming should. gale. That'd be awesome, right? <laughs> we totally should. I, you know, I remember that that yards at their first spot was wind powered. I assume that's carried through to their new location, but I don't know. Um, so it's it's something we should form a little guild and and figure out how to 
how to channel the wind even better. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended, I'm sure. Um, so I don't think I've ever seen a more inspirational and lofty mission statement opening than yours, which I'm just going to read here. Our mission is to create moments of joy and connection, empower each other to a craft, a better future and protect the health of the planet. I just love to hear a story about you personally seeing that mission statement come to life and perhaps share some of those moments of connection and empowerment that you've seen. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to be reminded of our mission when we're it's, so- I was floored. Like the rest of it's great too, but just to start with such a lofty, like open and say, this is who we are. And then to carry it through like you have, it's so inspirational. Oh, thanks, Mike. That feels good. That's what we're here for. We're here to empower and lift up those that maybe do the hard lifting and the empowering for others. So, so I would say it's something that you know that mission has definitely carried us through. And you'll notice that like beer isn't actually part of the mission um, because yeah, I figured that's a that, given. It was implied, like, right? Yeah. If yeah. we're a brewery, like obviously we have to make the best beer that we can make. So what else are we doing? Um, and for us, it's. I think mostly coming down to the space that we've cultivated and how we make sure to, to invite lots of people into it in a really active and intentional way. So as we were building it, we would have the Neighborhood Association come through and have meetings and get their ideas. Um, we all took trauma training. So it's a trauma-informed space, recognizing that a lot of our team members have experienced trauma. A lot of anyone has experienced traumas. Um, and we meet a lot of our team members through nonprofit partners who are incredible. And I think that for me, the daily affirmation of like the choices that we've made is just seeing how incredible our team members are and just the pride that they take in their work here for good reason. They're so excellent at their jobs and the way that they support each other um, is just, it's amazing. And to know some of the stories of, of what they've experienced in their past and to see them flourish. And, you know, like one of our team members routinely gets asked if he's the owner here just because of the way that he commands the space. Like this is his space and it's fantastic. Um, and I think then building on those partnerships with our nonprofit partners and having, you know, other folks are maybe involved in like the community bail fund. So having a big fundraiser here for that and all the people that that brings in um, to really celebrate together and meet each other across different experiences. Um, it's just like an ongoing joy for sure. That's just, that's so inspirational. And it has to be very rewarding to see something that I'm sure people, as you were explaining your business plan to like friends and family and just some circles just don't understand like doing things a little differently because they're like, why it would obviously have been done that way if it's a good right. idea. So why would you even consider something like this? But to commit to these things and see them come to fruition. And not only that, but to be embraced by individuals and by the community. I think the space that you have there on Spring Garden and being in what could be called a transitional neighborhood, but being committed to being for that community. I had a very similar conversation with Melissa at Love City about we're here not to change the neighborhood, but to be an advocate for the neighborhood and for the community and be a space that everyone feels welcome, but also advocates for this area and not just to capitalize on a shifting uh, gentrification or changing of a neighborhood. And I think that if enough intention of that approach is carried through in these neighborhoods, it's going to provide great opportunities without having um, 
people taking advantage of these growing opportunities. And I think it's just, it's wonderful. I mean, clearly you're an advocate for your communities uh, as a business owner, brewery, and just as a human inhabitant of our shared existence. What has helped ground you to these missions through the first year of your operation? And have you had any moments of doubt where you're like, am I doing it the right way? Should we reconsider and like take the easier way out? I think that um, honestly, the mission has kept me going through this really hard time. Um, I think if we were just making beer, which, you know, is a great thing to do. But for me, if, if all I was doing working 80 hours a week and not taking a paycheck this last year was, was making sure that our beer went out into the world, it would, it would have been hard to keep going. And I think that the fact that we were trying to preserve what we had literally just built mm -hmm. and all of the team members who built it with us and make sure that this space and these opportunities stayed here for them, mm -hmm. um, that that was what kept me going. And so the mission was never in question um, and there could never be any shortcuts. And, you know, it was, it's tough, you know, when, we, we built our business based on this taproom model, which is the highest margin you can really get with mm -hmm. beers in a keg over the bar. Mm -hmm. um, and that is what allows us to make sure that we're paying a living wage. We're paying, you know, our base rate for a bartender is more than three times what the industry standard and, and minimum wage is. So our payroll costs are way higher. And that makes that makes our bottom line, you know, it's, it's just all a little bit tougher. Um, and we built this model because we figured we thought we could do it. And then this model totally disappeared from us. And so being able to, to stay true to our commitment has been really hard. And we're super lucky that we got the PPP loan in the beginning. And we were able to pay all of our team members to stay home, actually, because we didn't want folks to take public transportation. We were sending tips in the mail. Um, I mean, like this was... What what crazy times we have I mean, through. can we just stop there for a second? <laughs> like there's nobody in this industry that was not only paying people to stay home. I was one of the fortunate ones that actually benefited from that exact situation uh, when I was at Big Hill, but a lot of people just either shut it down or said get in here or lose your job. Sorry, yeah. a deer just ran through my backyard and it totally oh, distracted cool. me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I digress. Um but I just think it was so important to treat this thing as serious as it was, but also to treat the people that built these businesses as human beings and not just, you know, disposable widgets. They're like, oh, I can't make any money off of you now. So you have to go away and figure this thing yeah. out and still taking the PPP money and not dispensing it the way that it should have been. I'm so happy to hear that someone was doing it the right way and taking care of the people. That's just a wonderful reminder of how committed you are to the people and the people being what makes your brewery so strong. That brings me to Crafted for All, which I think is such an amazing organization. Yes. Can you share a little bit about that organization and how you got hooked up with them and what great things you've been able to do uh, in their uh, model? Yeah. So Crafted for All is an organization founded by Dr. J, uh, Dr. Jackson Beckham, who uh, is the diversity ambassador for the Brewers Association. And so I got to see Dr. J um, at a craft brewers conference a few years ago before we opened. 
And it was my second conference. I had been a couple years before that. And the first time I went, I was just, I was honestly like disappointed and exhausted. Like I was one of the few women in the room, it in any room, being on the trade floor felt really uncomfortable and predatory. And I just was really frustrated with the state of this industry that I love. And fast forward a few years, I think, I think a lot of people had come to that same conclusion. And I was so impressed when the Brewers Association hired Dr. J and she's really led the charge in so many conversations. And so the next conference I went to, diversity and inclusion was such a huge part of the narrative. And um, I would say huge credit to Brewers Association and specifically Dr. J for, for bringing to that to the forefront. There's so much more we can do, but we have really gotten started and it's amazing. Um, and I think what Dr. J has done with Crafted for All is actually take this conversation and turn it into a set of actions that breweries can commit to. Um, you know, and it can be as simple as, you know, engaging with your neighborhood through different events as sort of more DNA changing as like how you're approaching your hiring. Um, for us, it was a really easy sign on because it sort of was a lot of things that we were already doing. And so it was just a nice like step of solidarity to be able to join into other breweries who have also, some of them have also already been thinking about this. And for some of them, it's new and all all together to be able to sort of make this statement that this matters and that there's so many different ways to take the first step that it doesn't have to be a scary, intimidating thing, that there is this network of people who want to support and there's this plan that, you know, can be sort of tapped into from so many different angles. You know, what is what is the lowest hanging fruit? And that's the that's start there and then keep going. Um, and so I think that's what Crafted for All has really sparked in the industry. And it's amazing. Well, and I would say the pandemic has kind of illuminated a lot of the challenges within the service industry, society as a whole. But this industry has always been one that's known to have, like you mentioned, predatory issues, uh, misogyny, harassment. And they were just considered to be part of the recipe. And yeah. I'm so happy to hear that your experience from one conference to the next was completely different and that that terrible experience of what it had to have been like to be one of the few women in that very toxic masculine space of what the brewing industry was pandering to five years ago versus now to see where it's come in at least acknowledging issues and opening conversations and allowing conversations to be had. Uh, it's just a time for a lot of listening and a lot of growth in my opinion, but to see the growth and the empowerment of people like Dr. J, who is doing tremendous work, it has to have been very rewarding for you to see like the things that you were feeling were actually addressed. Because how often does that really happen when people have those intrinsic traumatic experiences and then it's just like it continues on and you're just expected to live with it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it, that's super insightful. And I think one of the hard things about you know, being a woman in this industry, or I would imagine being a person of color in this industry is that sense of feeling pretty alone in your experiences. And that's the total antithesis of what beer and brewing is supposed to be. It's supposed to be about bringing people together and finding ways to connect and share, share understanding. And so I am, I'm really 
happy to see changes happening. I'm really sad that it's taken this long and that it's still going to be an ongoing process. I think we've seen that this year as well. We've had sort of our own Me Too movement this year. And and thank goodness. Um, thank goodness that that conversation is, is bubbling up even more and even more urgently. Um, but I think you're, you're exactly right that Dr. J and, and others have helped those of us who felt like alone in our experiences see that we aren't and that there's, there's a group of people who want to make change and are, and are doing it. Yeah, because I would agree with that, that there are people that maybe felt alone and now to provide an avenue to say, okay, I'm not alone here. But then for others, they're like, I hadn't even considered that perspective just because of their own privilege of not having to feel those impediments in society. I mean, people get all weird when they say, well, you have privilege. Well, privilege just means you didn't have to experience something that was an impediment to you. So you shouldn't be like, I'm being attacked because I'm being called privilege. You should acknowledge, oh, I never considered that impediment and then start to understand where that impediment may be has differing interactions with other people that maybe aren't like you. And then start to do the work from there instead of immediately recoiling and being like, oh, clutching pearls and I'm not privileged. How would you ever, you can't call me that P word. And like, I've been called way worse than that. So. Oh my gosh, I want to <laughs> hang out with you. This is, yes, we could we talk should do all it. the time. Um, yes. <laughs> I am a, a stay at home dad, father of two. So uh, my circle is pretty limited, but you know, I was just on a soapbox yesterday. I get a lot of the, oh, you're doing such great work. And oh, you really have your hands full every time I go to a grocery store because I have two children. It finally broke me yesterday where I stopped a woman. I was like, would you say this to a woman? Or like, am I yeah. just like a special case? She's like, well, I no, I wouldn't. I was like, but I remember yeah, those days. That. Yeah. And so I was like, so you remember those days? Did anyone ever say that to you? And she's like, well, no. I was like, well, let me be the first to say you must have had your hands full. And thank you for all that you did. <laughs> It's, yeah, it was, uh, I just, I don't understand. I talked to some of my uh, other friend, mother's friends that are just like, it's so frustrating that you get treated like you're doing gold star work and literally you're just doing the bare minimum. And I'm just trying here. That's all I'm doing. But, yeah. you know, that's all you're supposed to do as a parent. Sorry, we're supposed to talk about beer here, not kids. I Second love it. time. All right. So is it true that Triple Bottom got its start in home brewing in a garage? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. That is true. Can you paint the picture of what it was like in those early days of like, all right, we're interested in opening a beer at a brewery. Let's take on this hobby. Any great stories, both good or bad that came out of that, that you think back now and just like, how did we even make it here when we were doing that? Oh my God. I think that all the time. I, so it started as, as me and my husband, Bill, and we were home brewing in our like bat, like our tiny kitchen during grad school um, on the stove. And then we were like, this idea has legs. We want to try to pursue it. We're obviously not going to be the ones who bring the beer part to life. Like our brewing is very <laughs> limited. Um, and so we met Kyle, who's our third partner and our head brewer. He had been brewing at Stone Brewing Company in San Diego um, and had just moved back home to Bucks County, just north of Philly. And so we started brewing together and he had a home brewing system too, but it was like, you know, you could make 20 had, gallons at a yeah, time. Yeah, he had legit probably yeah. like... Like roll it out on casters yeah. into the driveway and fire up the gas. And um, so that's, that's what we would do. And for some reason, it always either snowed or was 100 degrees whenever we <laughs> brewed. And it would be, you know, 12, 13 hour days because we'd have to build the system and mm -hmm. take it apart and clean it every, every time. Um, and at one point, a police officer stopped by and 
we thought, you know, we must be breaking some law. Um, but he just really wanted to try the beers. But I just remember Kyle's mom from upstairs looking down because this police officer was hanging out for quite a long time. And she was <laughs> so anxious that we were all going to be taken away. Um, and fortunately, fortunately, we weren't. All the neighbors were very supportive, very curious. It was like quite, quite a thing to see. Um, one of our beers froze when it was bottled. Um, because it had to be moved out of like the flooded garage and still survived. So, you know, a lot of trial and error, but it's really nice to not have to build a, a brewery every time you want to brew beer. It's just sitting there now. It's nice. It's just so pretty and shiny and you got to love it for what it is. Yeah. Um, one other thing I want to ask you about was the joy box. Cause I think it's such a great, another, like you said, adaptation of the pandemic, I'm sure, but anything that gets beer, in Weckerly's together is in, I mean, that ice cream is tremendous. Oh, oh we can, yes. I could do a whole nother 30 minutes just talking about that ice cream. We should. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll schedule that. I'll talk to Celine <laughs> later about this, but uh, I just, was that your idea? How did you get all these excellent, like top notch producers? I mean, the people that you're working with in that collaboration are some of my favorite, like small batch artisans that really care about the quality of the product. And maybe that was like the tying thread that brought you all together. But quickly, how did you get to them to come together and make this all happen? Yeah, I mean, gosh, what a crew. It really was like the thing that that saved us in the pandemic was to be able to hang out with those people who were mm. also solving problems. Um, we had launched in March 2020, the Triple Bottom Women's Collective, which was a lot of pop-ups of women-owned businesses in Philly. And our the one that was supposed to be happening that we did the shutdown was with Little Pop Shop with Jeannie Chang. And um, as you know, the weekend is coming, we're like, this isn't, this isn't gonna happen. We should probably cancel this. And then we're texting, we're like, we're gonna close our businesses, I think, um, which is like so surreal again, to think about those text messages coming through. Um, and we decided the two of us, like, we were like, what are we gonna do? We should try to figure out delivery. And we thought, let's just meet. If, see if we can figure something out together because neither of us had done it. And then we thought maybe we should ask a few other people who are probably experiencing the same thing if they want to come and just figure out how we can continue to get our products to people. And so we reached out to Tufam, who's from Cafe Roasters, and she had just done a pop-up at Triple Bottom, um, to Ann Carlin, who works with local farms to bring cheese to Philly. And mm. we had just switched to have her be our cheese provider here, to Andy from Weckerly's, um, who we just like was a good friend of Little Pop Shop and and I'd gotten to know a little bit to the Sustainable Business Network. And then somehow I forget who knew Tyler from Micropolitan Mushrooms, but he came in, he was sort of the one wild card that I didn't know. And gosh, <laughs> I'm so glad I know him now. Um, and he grows mushrooms in North Philadelphia, this amazing underground mushroom farm. They're the best mushrooms. Um, and so, yeah, it's all small batch, local artisans, all really committed to the quality and the, the purpose of their products. And we just sat down that day, that first day of the shutdown, and we're like, what do we do? And we figured we could come up with a shared delivery service. Weckerly's had vans that were no longer being used because every wedding was canceled. And um, we built a website overnight and launched it and had way more support and orders than we ever expected and had a debacle of a first delivery day where we were out for like 12 hours and the ice cream was melting and like we were lost and the bags were soggy and we 
figured out from there how to do things a little better. And it <laughs> lasted a full year, this sort of weekly joy box deliveries where people could order from their favorite vendors. And we started spotlighting other local vendors as guests who maybe didn't get a lot of spotlight otherwise. And um, it was really fun. It was such a really great collaborative way to lift each other up and introduce each other to our communities and um, just feel not alone. Like, you know, like, did you hear about this new policy and this new thing? And like, what do we do? Um, so that was really amazing. Well, I'm so glad that all of you did that. We're all not alone. We're in this together. So thank you for all that you're doing, both for your community and for just the industry as a whole and being such an eloquent spokesperson for important conversations and this very transitional time that we live in. I know that you know, it can feel a little frustrating, but for me, it's exciting to be able to be a part of some of this in that we get to share hope in a lot of ways in these conversations. So thank you for building that community that you once dreamt of in Chile. And now here you are on this prestigious podcast talking about Pennsylvania beer and the industry. So Tess Hart of Triple Bottom Brewing, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. If you want to know more about the beer, you should just go drink it. It's amazing. It's in Philly. You should check out their tap room on Spring Garden. Also, they are doing this really amazing pop-up at Eastern State Penitentiary. Do you want to tell people a little bit about that? Yeah, we are really excited to be partnering with them for their Halloween nights, which opens at the end of September. We're going to be having a few different bars inside. They're sort of reimagining the Halloween experience. It's going to be really fun. We connect with them because we both have fair chance missions and we've learned a lot from them over the last few years. So it's really fun to now be building something new together. That's amazing. Go check it out. You don't have to be that into Halloween, but you might want to because, you know, penitentiaries can be scary when the lights <laughs> go down. Tess, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Check them out on social media, anywhere you want people to, uh, to follow or anything you want to highlight. Um, yeah, I think we're best at Instagram. I always forget that we have Twitter. So find us on Instagram at yeah. Triple Bottom Brewing. I would agree. Your Instagram is tremendous. And the photos that you take, staging beer is not easy and your lighting is always top notch. So thank, thank you for you. caring about aesthetics along with <laughs> what goes inside the can. Thank you, Mike. It was so fun to talk to you. Cheers, Tess. Have a great day. You and too. of course, we have to finish up with our beer of the month. And this month, I am highlighting the last of our lagers. It's going to be Sly Fox Hellas Golden Lager, one of my favorites. Outside of your sunshines and all the other ones we've highlighted, Sly Fox is really doing it with this German-inspired lager. And let me tell you that they are bringing in imported German pills to go with those Hollertau hops and the Saz, which are my spicy little buddies. It's got a light body with a soft, dry finish, and it kind of makes an excellent year-round sessionable brew. But for me, it's the tops, man. They do those open tops. It's not your skinny little pop top. I mean, it is a full open 12-ounce cup when you get that thing going, and it is wonderful. So check them out. Look for 12-ounce cans at Wise or wherever you shop for your crispy lagers. And once again, I would like to thank our friends at Wise Markets for making these conversations and supporting these conversations possible here on Cheers PA Beer Talk. Until next time. I'd like to thank once again Tess Hart from Triple Bottom Brewing in Philadelphia. I'm your host, Mike Lintel, and we will see you next time.